Amazing. Thank you so much, Luke. And, um, and hi, everybody. Um, thank you so much for having me this afternoon. It feels like I'm kind of amongst family. Um, so thank you for making me um, always so welcome um, in York. Um, as Luke said, I work for IJM, International Justice Mission, um, IJM for short. And, uh, and for those of you that haven't heard of IJM, uh, in a nutshell, we are the largest anti-slavery organization in the world. So we work on the ground in the trenches, finding and rescuing children and families from cases of Monday slavery uh, and human trafficking. And, uh, and last year, we rescued 4,616 people. Thanks. <laughs> and I am super, super excited to be here. Um, and I really, really love your vision for the Advent season. I think the idea of, of looking at a generous Christmas speaks really loudly about what it is uh, to love Jesus and be countercultural in a season that often turns uh, very insular. And um, I'm hoping that this afternoon I'll try and be a little bit of an antidote to the consumerism that we sometimes get bombarded by at this time of year. Now I'm going to hit you with some stats in a moment. And, and if I'm honest, some of them are really hard to get your head around. If you're anything like me, uh, numbers make me want to go to sleep. Um, I'm a words person, and we kind of get bombarded by stats about poverty and suffering around the world every single day, don't we? So often it gets a bit much, and we, we turn over the channel, we, we tune out. But it is important that you know. By the time I finish speaking, around 50 more children will have been sold into slavery. The reality is two more children are sold every minute of every hour of every day. And they're sold into brothels and bars and sweatshops. But we know that children, they belong in brothels and bars and sweatshops, right? They belong in families and playgrounds and schools. And by using the word sold, I'm, I'm not talking about a neat contactless transaction where you can pop down the road, uh, use a contactless card, get a receipt and take it back if you change your mind. No, I'm talking about a, a parent being lied to and tricked and dropping their child off at school and then not seeing them again. I'm talking about a teenage girl being drugged and waking up in a foreign country. So when you hear the word sold, please know I'm kind of using that flippantly, but it's shorthand for something much more complex, which is the systematic oppression of the poor around the world. Some of the most vulnerable people on this planet being abused. So when you hear that word sold, please know that it's not a neat package transaction, but there is a different spirit at work here, and it is dark. Does that make sense? Two children sold every minute, but God knows their name. Let me tell you one of them. Um, this is Malesh. You'll see him in a second. Uh, Malesh uh, grew up in India, and he was eight years old when his parents were tricked into selling him into slavery on a rose farm. And seven days a week, uh, he used to pick uh, roses from this farm that would then be sent off and shipped around the world and would end up in our supermarkets that we buy. And, um, and the, the slave owners in India really like uh, young children because they have small hands. 
so they don't damage the delicate stems of the flowers. Now, by the grace of God, we were able to rescue uh, Malesh last year, and he is back in school, he's back with his family, and he's doing really, really well. The hands that were once ripped to shreds by thorns now hold a pen uh, to write stories with, and writing stories is what Malesh absolutely loves to do. He says he wants to be a writer one day. And he's an example of, of the good news that Jesus brings around the world. And the good news is this, that God has always been looking to set the captive free. But today, he is just looking for those who will stand and say, let my people go. Now, I wonder, on a scale of 1 to 10, how Christmassy you're currently feeling. Um, I feel like with the choir, I've uh, significantly increased from a 6 to possibly a 9.5. And um, <laughs> there's a little bit of room to go. But I wonder, um, at this time of year, as the nights are drawing in and we're lighting the fire and the sipping on the mulled wine, um, what is your Christmas film of choice? In fact, you've got uh, 20 seconds, person next to you. What is the film that you watch to get into the Christmas mood? 20 seconds, off you go. Okay, okay. Before we start debating too much, um, th throw, me out, throw me out some choices. Die Hard. Brilliant, brilliant. Okay, anyone else? It's a wonderful life. Oh, it makes me cry every time, but it's great. Elf. Any other Elf fans in the house? Very good. Powder Express. Cracking choice. Any other thoughts? The, the Grinch. Oh dear, miracle fit. Okay, okay, um, I'm surprised because no one's uh, mentioned the film that in my household sig uh, signals the, the reason for the season. Um, and that is Home Alone. Yeah. Any other fans? Yeah, okay. So this for me signals the start of Christmas. And, um, and in Home Alone, for those of you that don't, uh, don't remember the story, basically you've got Macaulay Culkin left at home, family go on holiday for Christmas, and then they realise they've left the child at home. And there's this um, amazing moment where the mum, in like, all of the panic, is trying to get back, trying to get back to see her son. And she's at the airport saying, I need to go home, put me on the next plane. And the guy at the airport is saying, I'm sorry, there is nothing we can do. And she slams her hands on the counter she goes, what do you mean there's nothing you can do? This is the season of perpetual hope. And he says, I'm sorry, there's nothing I can do. And in this scene, hope is just an abstract concept. It doesn't seem close at all. And it's completely disconnected from the reality of the situation. But you know what? At Christmas, we celebrate that hope is not just an abstract concept, right? That Jesus is hope made real to the world and the whole world. And this afternoon, I'd love to bring into focus one of the passions of God that we see running throughout the Bible. And that is his passion to bring hope to the world. Because we know that God so loved the world, right? John 3.16. And by the world, we mean every single individual across every border, boundary, country, culture, nation, race, and religion. Every single individual billion life. That's what God loves. 
right? And in many ways, I think it's fair to say that we are living in a global era, correct? You know, from the food that we eat to the clothes that we wear, we're living in a time where we seem to be as connected to the world as we have ever been. You know, I uh, was reflecting on this recently, that, and uh, I recently found myself sat on a sofa that was made in Sweden, peeling a satsuma that came from Spain, drinking coffee beans from Kenya, writing a card to my friends in France, playing music from America on a phone that was constructed in China from parts that were produced in Africa, all getting ready to celebrate a child that was born in the Middle East. It's mad, right? And Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, once said, uh, before you have finished breakfast, you will have relied on half of the world. And I can't help to think the guy had a point. In fact, just show of hands. Put, put your hand up if you've been on a long-haul flight in the last couple of years. Wow, okay. Uh, what about if you own a smartphone? Okay. If you're on Facebook? Amazing. Apparently, around 50% of the entire global population are on Facebook. Is that nuts? Anyway, surely we are as connected and as close to the world as we've ever been. Or are we? And as a nation this year, we accepted less than 300 child refugees into the UK, unaccompanied minors. And if anything, politically, in a lot of ways, we seem to be distancing ourselves from the world at the moment. You know, I am the first to say that I am often distant from my global neighbours in my life. You know, when I fill up my car with petrol, I don't think I think about where that petrol's from. And when I upgrade my phone, you know, I am first to say that I often go about my life with, with little sense of connection to the impact I'm having on those around the world. And I wonder whether there's actually a bit of a challenge here. You know, do we love the benefits of the world? Cheap fashion, cheap technology, good travel. But when it comes to loving the world, have we shrunk the world a little bit to a smaller version of me and mine and my own? And let's face the reality here. It is much easier to love the people who I am like, are like me and like me back, the people close to me. And when it comes to Jesus, when it comes to the Jesus story, I think sometimes we shrink our saviour too. You know, the Christmas story shouts of God's love for the world. You know, you read about it in, uh, in Luke chapters 1 and 2. I'd really encourage you over the next few weeks to, to read that account of the birth of Jesus. And, and what you get is this multicolored, multifaceted blend of, of rural shepherds and royal kings. You know, you get the young, the old, the local, and those who travel across nations coming together side by side to celebrate the birth of Jesus. And if that's not enough, the very fabric of the cosmos displays God's glory. You know, people can see it far and wide. You know, it's as if God is saying, look who I love. Everyone, you are all invited to the party. But if we aren't careful, we shrink it. And I make it about me. And only me. Have we made it a bit too small? You see, Jesus is my personal 
saviour. He is my best friend. He is my comfort, my prince of peace. He was born to bring order to my chaos, to bring me hope. And on one hand, I'm completely right to believe that. You know, we serve a personal God. You know, he sent his son Jesus to walk the earth, die on this earth and rise again just for you and just for me. If I'd have been the only one who needed it, he would have still have done it. Amazing. But if we only focus on the personal Jesus, we miss out on the crucial or a crucial aspect of, of who he is. You know, that he also came and turned a whole unjust society on its head. You know, he turned over tables when the poor were being marginalized. That he addressed food poverty thousands at a time. You know, he spoke truth to politicians. He challenged the status quo of governments. He challenged economic inequality with tax collectors. He rebuked unjust systems of law. He turned the military on its head. You know, in Matthew 28, he commissions us, therefore go to all nations, you know, to the ends of the earth. His invitation was, and still is, to see all things made new. Psalm 24 sums it up brilliantly for us. It says this, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it the world and all who live in it. For he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. In other words, it all belongs to him. Everything, everywhere, everyone is his. So we can have conversation after conversation about personal calling, personal salvation, which which is great and, and really important. But when we only focus on these things, I think we settle for a smaller version of Jesus. You know, Jesus was born in a stable, but he didn't stay in a stable. You know, he is both the saviour of my world, but the saviour of the world. The same God who is both personal and yet incredibly powerful. He is both intimate and utterly infinite. He's the same God who Isaiah prophesies, the whole earth is filled with his glory. This God whom everyone, everything, everywhere belongs to him. And if his mission was to love the world and the whole world, then so is ours. Let's not make the gospel too small at Christmas. I started off by, uh, by sharing some stats about those in slavery. I don't know if you're aware, but there are currently more people living in slavery than there have ever been at any point in history before. And I wonder how they're seeing that God so loved the world. I'd love to share with you some of the ways that, that we as IJM, as a, as a Jesus-loving movement, are seeing the spirit of God at work as we're trying to live out some of this calling, what it means to love the world. And uh, I'd love to introduce you to a young lady called Cassie. Now, um, 
I can't show you a picture of her face, but, but Cassie is a brave and beautiful young woman living in the Philippines. She has the most amazing dark eyes. And, um, and Cassie was 12 years old when she was uh, a victim of modern slavery. She was sent to school in the capital city of Manila in the Philippines. And when she turned up, it was clear that her family had been tricked. And Cassie was held victim uh, for, five, uh, for five years, um, right before the, uh, her 18th birthday. And, um, and she was a victim of sexual exploitation, both by those who are physically present, but by those uh, who would live stream her abuse across the internet, um, around the world, and pay to watch, including here in the UK. And Cassie talks about that time when she was held uh, in the four walls of the house. She talks about crying out to God, praying that someone around the world would find her. Now, we managed to invade the house uh, where Cassie was being held. And we did that by working with the National Crime Agency here in the UK to use the data uh, from the internet to pinpoint the, the location of the online criminals and then trace it back to where she was being held. And we were able to invade the house uh, where she was being held captive and rescue her, bring her up and out, along with four other children that were being held with her. Uh, the youngest was less than a year old. And uh, a few years on, um, Cassie is doing amazingly well. She is back in school uh, at a place called the Centre for Hope. And she says she dreams of being a, a flight attendant one day because she wants to see the world for herself. But uh, Cassie um, is probably one of the most incredible anti-human trafficking advocates that I've ever come across. And she recently uh, spoke at a conference in America to about 3,500 people where she told her story of, of hope in the midst of darkness, of the God that so loved the world that he came and found her, of the Jesus that set captives free. And um, it was absolutely remarkable. But uh, Cassie's story gets a little bit bigger. You see, she um, is part of something amazing that we've experienced in the country of the Philippines. And um, a few years ago, uh, the Philippines was pretty much known globally as one of the kind of epicenters, the ground zero, if you will, of child slavery and particularly child trafficking of, of, of really young children. And um, you'll see this, this graph here, this diagram, sorry, represents uh, children that were in the sex trade in the mid-2000s. Now, the Bill Gates Foundation, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, commissioned some academic work uh, to look into what we as IJM were doing to, to rescue children, but also to arrest the criminals, so to stop them re-offending. And, and they predicted that over a four-year period, a really, really good breakthrough would be a 20% reduction. Now, we set about, uh, from the year 2007, we set about rescuing children and then arresting the criminals and working out there, praying and rescuing, rescuing and praying, and asking God to move. In a four-year period, we saw a 79% reduction in child trafficking in the three major cities across the Philippines, and now it's increased to an 89% reduction. The Gates Foundation cited two main reasons. The first being that the criminals were no longer on the streets, 
They were behind bars, so they weren't trafficking more children. The second uh, being the multiplier effect, that it was no longer safe for the criminals to operate, so they were going off and finding new business. But I would add a third one into the mix, and that is an incredible move of God. That it is by seeing that by loving the world, when you see the people of God love the world and pray and act and act and pray, it is possible to see a whole nation change. It's like Paul writes in, in 1 Corinthians, if one part of the body suffers, we all suffer with it. But where one part rejoices, we will all rejoice with it. And Christians around the world were rejoicing when this news came through. We've seen similar things repeated in Cambodia. And if it's possible in the Philippines, and it's possible in Cambodia, it is possible in India, and it is possible in Romania. And I believe it's possible here in the UK too. In the last 10 years, we've uh, rescued around 47,000 people. But across the world, we are rejoicing because we're seeing the state of whole nations change. Because the people of God are learning what it means to love the world. So what about us here in York? What is our response? How do we turn this all from an abstract concept into reality? I'd love to suggest that there are three practical ways this evening um, that you can consider how we lift our gaze in the run-up to Christmas, how we can try and make the gospel a little bit bigger over this season, but how we can love those in slavery, but also be part of loving the world. I wonder if you could, just for a second, either with the person next to you or yourself, um, if you're wearing a jacket or a jumper or a, or a piece of clothing that you've got kind of loose, um, I wonder if you could find the Made In label. And have a look and see where what you're wearing was made. It will say made in and then a country. Maybe I'll ask your neighbour before you rifle, rifle around. Okay, have we got some ideas? Can you just throw me out some countries? China. Bangladesh. India. The USA. Turkey. Vietnam. Egypt. Indonesia. Okay, you're getting a flavour. What do we notice about these countries? Say that again? Yeah, far away. And they generally, yeah, poor countries. Countries where we tend to recognise there are extreme levels of poverty. A few months ago, we rescued 11 boys from a high-heeled factory in, uh, in India. And these boys, they were between the ages of, uh, of 12 and 16. They had been enslaved for four years in an Indian factory making high heels, which were then shipped around the world. They are now free, but we, as Western consumers, were driving the demand for cheap high-heeled shoes. Now, I didn't know uh, where my dress was from, um, so I asked. And I asked the shop assistant, um, whether slavery was involved. And, um, and bless her, she said no, that it was okay. And, um, and was she sure? Probably not. Did she think I was really weird? Yes, no doubt on my mind. 
But by having these conversations, I think what we start to do is get this on the agenda. You see, we have a huge amount of power in our hands as consumers. You know, shops are only going to sell what we buy. And, um, and surely that's an awkward, worth an awkward moment in Fatface or, or in Tesco's filling out the form asking for more fair trade bananas or coffee options, right? And we're seeing at the moment with the plastic-free movement, aren't we, that when consumers en masse get passionate about something, it is possible to change the entire conversation um, of a nation. And we're seeing incredible legis legislation changes come into force. And I'd love to challenge you to start a conversation um, when you're out shopping or when you're buying a coffee, you know, and, and start consider how we can use our global connection for good when we're buying things. And, uh, and, and we can definitely start small. Maybe this Christmas, when you're shopping for presents, you can choose one gift that you're going to buy and, and try and research and source it from an ethical retailer, and then tell the person who you've bought the gift for why you've got them that gift, and start sharing some stories, sharing some good news. And um, I'd really encourage you to be generous in your conversation, generous in the questions that you're asking this season, and lead the conversation, whether through social media, um, or, or, or just sharing stories of hope. Um, we've launched a new campaign recently, you'll, you'll see it on your, on your tables, called Make slave-free normal. It's all about using our voices as consumers. So the first thing I'd love you to consider doing is to be generous with your conversation this Christmas. Ask good questions. Now, the second way uh, that I think we can be generous is in our giving this Christmas and to send rescue to those who need it the most to actually tackle slavery at source, to cut it off on the ground where it's happening. And I know we've got some supporters of IJM in the room already, and we're super grateful for you. And um, some of you are going to be moved to support IJM, and can I say thank you in advance? And, um, and if I'm being really honest, what we, what we pray for is consistency in giving, um, so that we can plan to come back. So if we find out where kids are, we can say, actually, we'll come back and we've got the resources to back it up. Yeah? And, um, and whether it's £3 or £33, it doesn't really matter for us. What we really pray for is consistency. And, um, and if you feel prompt, if you've got that like, Holy Spirit nudged, actually, God's speaking to me about my global connections, um, you can use this form that is on the tables. Um, the second half of the back is... is is that regular thing. And if that's you, um, I'd really, really, we would appreciate it. Um, you know, this Christmas, we will spend somewhere in the region of £17 billion. Pounds. And I wonder, as a nation, what it would look like if a little slice of that went to people around the world in need. And a um, special fun uh, one today is if you do sign up and give regularly, I've got a ton of IJM Keep Cups, which, uh, which you can have um, as a gift to kind of help you remember. And what's beautiful is you can fill it with your daily brew and then remember to pray each time. And it becomes, I guess, a kind of act of worship. Um, so if that's you, swap your form for a Keep Cup at the end. And, and that leads me to my final number three. And that is generosity in prayer. And if I'm honest, this is the thing that we as a movement covet the most. 
And uh, as a movement, we are entirely fueled and founded on prayer. Prayer uh, crosses borders and boundaries, and it has the ability to affect change in lands that our two feet may never actually visit. It is the currency we have for bringing the kingdom. And um, prayer is the most powerful tool, I think, that we have for helping us lift our gaze to helping us take our eyes off ourselves and to partner with the Holy Spirit in the work that he's already doing around the world. And in prayer, we are reminded of who God is. And I'd love to invite you to join us in prayer. And we have a family of prayers around the world who every time we're going on a rescue and a raid, drop to their knees and are praying and petitioning for freedom. And if you know that God is speaking to you about that today, please do sign up at the back and join that team that are praying and prophesying and bringing freedom through prayer. You know, Christmas, um, Christmas sometimes has a way of, of shrinking us. You know, we get caught up worrying about Amazon delivery deadlines and, and Christmas party outfits and how much food we can eat or shouldn't eat. But by saying yes to Jesus, we are invited into something much, much bigger than ourselves. We become family with brothers and sisters around the world. And this Christmas, I'd love to invite you to lift your gaze to be part of a story of loving the world, particularly those in slavery. And I'd love to challenge you to, to not get caught up with a small gospel, not to allow yourself to become too insular, but to allow yourself to recognize your mission to the world. And whether that is through being generous in your conversation, being generous in your giving, or generous in your prayer, Let's ask the Holy Spirit what, what our individual role might be in loving across borders and boundaries and cultures and countries. After all, it all belongs to him. Everything, everywhere. And it is the season of perpetual hope. Let's not settle for a small gospel this Christmas. I wonder if we could take a moment and, and just take a moment in the quiet to, to reflect on, on what's been shared. And, um, and we'll pray and, and then I'll hand over back to Susie. Let's just take a moment.